we're doing this series called Why and talking about the different things that we practice, um, that we do in the church that for many of us is very familiar, but for other people, they kind of ask questions. And they well, why do you do that? Why, why does the church do that? Why does the church practice this? And it's important to ask those questions, but it's more important to get answers for your questions, right? You need to know. You have faith questions. You have things you want to know. So we're kind of walking through that. And the past couple of weeks, we talked about um, freedom and why in the New Testament, Paul talks about you were made to be free, but that is so that you can serve and love. That's why you were made to be free. And then last week, we talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit and why that is so important in our lives to be in us and live through us throughout our whole, whole lives. But today, we're going to talk about uh, baptism. So this past week, I had the honor and privilege uh, of baptizing um, a brother and sister into Christ, and I'm not just using Christianese language when I say brother and sister in Christ. It was literally Ender and Everin Reynolds, I believe are seven and nine, right around that age, and they came to be baptized. Uh, they've been a part of our church for some time, been a part of our children's ministry, and they came with their parents, Daniel and Yesum, and grandparents who came from California who are here today, and then also uncle who came from New York, and I was like, man, coast to coast, you got representation at your baptism, that's an awesome thing. So I was able to, uh, just honored to be able to baptize them. It was a sweet and meaningful time. And as I'm walking through that with them and baptizing them, I'm thinking about when I was 10 years old and I got baptized. Because one of the beautiful things about baptism does is it helps you identify not only with Christ, but with your baptism and when you did it. You start thinking about when was I. And I remember being 10 years old and Jim Dyer, who was our preacher, and I remember talking to him ahead of time before that, but walking down, and man, my heart was pounding, and I had to go in front of the whole congregation and say those words, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior, and then we walked up, we had this big baptistry, and I remember still having those butterflies, but Jim had these huge hands, and when you're 10, they really look big, you know, but he just took me down into that water and brought me back up, and I remember people, you know, being around and, and, and uh, congratulate me afterwards, and, and I knew I was different. Something felt different in my life, and it was just an, a meaningful experience. So as I had that experience this week, I was very encouraged. To, it reminded me of mine. And I remember telling Ender and Everett, you're not going to understand everything about baptism at this age. I didn't at 10. I don't at 57. I don't understand all of it, but it's something that I knew that I needed to do. And if I was going to follow Jesus, I wanted to follow what he did, and that's what I did. So thinking about, as I talk about that, you're probably thinking about your baptism, aren't you? Where were you? Who did it? Why did you do it? What led to that baptism for you? All those different things are probably going through your head. It was a point in your, li in your life where you decided you wanted to follow Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and a part of that process, a part of that initiation into God's kingdom, and that initiation to God's reign in our lives involves baptism. It's meaningful. It's even mystical. It's a beautiful action of dying to our old life, our old self, being cleansed from our sin, our guilt, and our shame, and rising to this new life, a new creation in Christ, with now Christ living in me. So today I want to continue talking about things we do in the church, a practice that the church, not just this church, but churches all over the world, all over history since the beginning of the church that we read about in the book of Acts, have participated in baptism. Why is it important? Why is it essential? 
part of becoming a follower of Jesus. Where most all churches, um, whether they're Catholic or Protestant or whatever, they would probably for the most part, and regardless of their denomination, would agree on the importance and the meaning of baptism and the sacrament, which just basically means a ceremony or a ritual of Christian baptism. But some of our differences throughout the history of the church have been the method or maybe the age of the person when they are baptized. And so I think it's important for me to let you know today that I'm sharing that the earliest church practices that we read about in the New Testament should be our guide, our practice, and our traditions in the church today. And I say this a lot. There's a lot of things we do sometimes in the name of Christianity or sometimes in the name of church that aren't necessarily biblical truth. They're religious or traditional conviction. And there is a difference. You all know what I'm talking about? Some things we do, yes, points us to those um, biblical traditions, but some things we do are not necessarily biblical truth. They're just tradition. But baptism is biblical tradition, but it's also it's biblical truth, but it's also part of the church has been practicing this throughout its history. And we should always view church traditions and practices through the lens of the Bible, through the New Testament biblical lens, which gives us this earliest and purest picture of Christ's church, which we read about. It was earliest and purest because that's when the church got started. What did they practice? We want to continue to practice that even though we're you know, 2,000 years later. And today, I think we still do that. And unfortunately, throughout histories, individuals and groups have done some horrifying things in the name of the church, in the name of Jesus, to manipulate and control people and gain political or social power, which are things that certainly have no place in God's kingdom and absolutely go against the good news of the gospel of Jesus. But even in spite of that, God's kingdom has continued to grow and flourish in the world, hasn't it? Because they can't overcome God's kingdom. So today I want us to look at the New Testament and how that early church that started on the day of Pentecost, we talked about that last week as we talked about the Holy Spirit, and how we should view and practice baptism today in Christ's church. And we first encounter baptism, as, as you may or may not know, is right before Jesus came to get baptized. John the Baptist was baptizing out in the wilderness. And that actually was a practice some 3,000 years before John the Baptist. Um, it was a pagan god that was symbolized as a half goat and a half fish. The Sumerian people who, were, uh, who invented the first writing system that we know through history, they worshipped this water god called Enki or E. And uh, this pagan god was a part of... Uh, uh, pagan gods throughout history but ultimately i think it's very interesting that something that started with a pagan god three thousand years before john the baptist was something that he used that god used to call people to repentance through john the baptist in that first century and just as the old testament in the old testament remember there were 10 plagues when moses went and told pharaoh let my people go there were 10 plagues for a pagan and power over a pagan god and John preached that it was not enough for the, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, to claim that we have this covenant relationship with God through Abraham, which they did. But they still needed to repent and reconnect back with God. And so John made it clear that he baptized for repentance. But then he talked about one who was coming, who was more powerful than me, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering this wheat and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire, Matthew tells us. And man, when, when John the Baptist said stuff like that, people 
it got their attention. What are you talking about? Who is this Jesus that's coming? And so we hear of baptism early through John the Baptist, and it was a different baptism, a baptism of repentance and turning back to God. And John even said that Jesus' baptism would be different. Jesus was baptized by John. And you know when Jesus walked up to John that day, you know, he's going, I should be baptizing you. Why are you coming to me? It seems so awkward for John for a while. But Jesus says, no, no, this we're fulfilling all righteousness. This is what God's called me to do. And I'm always amazed at how laser beam focused that Jesus always was on what God had called him to do. He never tried to cut corners. He always stayed in focus with what God had called him to do. It was a picture of the start of Jesus' public ministry. He was no longer going to be a carpenter in Nazareth. Now he was going to be the son of God who would go out and, and evangelize and all these people, all these things that God had called him to do. And it was ushering in this kingdom of God. It was ushering in this new covenant. And that baptism started Jesus' earthly ministry. And after Jesus' ministry and after his death and after his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus gave us what was called the Great Commission. The Great Commission saying, now I'm leaving. I've died. I've risen again. I've taught you for three years. I'm not going to be here any longer. I'm moving on. But you are going to carry on this new covenant. You're going to carry on this new kingdom into the world. I will be with you. Remember, we talked about that last week. The Holy Spirit will be with you. I won't leave you as orphans. The counselor will be with you. But I'm going. And so when he left, he gives this Great Commission that we find in Matthew 28. And in that, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So when we baptize someone here, you'll hear me say, or whoever does the baptism, when your baptism, someone baptized you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. We're following that great commission. Um, baptism was a specific part of, of discipleship that Jesus commanded and commissioned to be done in his kingdom as it moved forward in the world. And that's exactly what we see in the New Testament. Shortly after that, we read about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Acts, that's when the church started. And we read on that day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and Peter. And Peter preached this amazing sermon about the good news of Jesus Christ to a huge audience that day of very diverse people who said, I'm hearing this good news about who Jesus is, and I'm hearing it in my language. How is that possible except God has to be in this? And after Peter's sermon, he let them know very clearly who Jesus was and why he came and why they needed to do something with that person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at Acts 2. And it says, starting in verse 37, So when the people heard this sermon, when they heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it says, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So out of Peter's sermon, out of that presentation of who Jesus was, the good news of the gospel, even though Jesus had been killed, and people knew about this. They knew what had happened recently in Jerusalem about Jesus' death and his resurrection. And he's proclaiming that message 
That was for a reason. It was so that you might have eternal life, that you might be forgiven and restored to God. And so the people, after that sermon, they wanted to know, what must I do next? What must I do next? They didn't say, what should I feel next? Not what should I think next, but what should I do next? I want to know what the next steps are. Because they had already been thinking, they had already been been feeling about the message of Jesus Christ because it says they were what? Cut to the heart. Have you ever been cut to the heart? Something significantly affects your mind, affects who you, the inner parts of who you are. And they said, I've already been thinking about this. I'm already feeling a certain way, and I want this Jesus you're talking about to be in my life. So what do I need to do next? What action do I need to take? And so Peter let them know, repent and be baptized. Repentance means turning away from the way I was living, the way I was thinking, the way I was feeling, and now I'm going to repent and start thinking and feeling and believing the Jesus way. What Jesus did on the cross, his suffering unto death, his burial, and three days later rising from the dead, that is what saved them. Baptism is not what saves us. I remember telling the brother and sister that baptized, I said, y'all, this is not, this water that you're getting ready to be baptized in is not magical. It doesn't save you, but the process is, is what represent it all represents what does save you and that's the life death and resurrection of jesus christ that's what it's symbolic of and so when they heard that those people that day they believed and wanted to know what do i need to do i want to turn my life around i want to turn from my old way and that's what peter told them so baptism was then in that first century and it has been throughout history and even now in this century it is uh, an essential part of conversion experience of becoming a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a symbolic ceremony in which we participate that shows our old life. We're dying to that old life. We're burying that old life, that old way of me doing things, me being in control, and we're allowing now Jesus is going to take over. He's going to come into my life. I'm going to be resurrected with him and leading me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church didn't come up with this. Southwest didn't come up with this. This was God's plan all along to have baptism. Jesus commissioned and commanded the earliest disciples to go and make disciples and baptize them. And that was a part of the discipleship process. In the book or writing of Acts of the Apostles, we see that in every conversion experience, it was followed by this act of baptism. I'm going to have a chart up on the screen here and you can see, and you don't have to follow all of that, But basically, there's lots of scriptures there talking about specific people or specific groups of people where they heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It was taught to them, and after it was taught to them, they believed. They did some sort of um, confession, and they understood that repenting, turning from their old life was part of it. And then you can see how many yeses there are about baptizing. It was followed by baptism. So we didn't come up with that. We don't come up as Southwest. We say, no, we're moving back to the New Testament, to the first century church. What was the most pure? What was the most simple in that church? That's what we want to practice in this time. And so that's what we do and that's what we practice here. It's important to know that Jesus' great commission was being followed. Those apostles didn't just hear him on that mountain that day and go, yeah, whatever, we're going to do it our way. No, they went out and did exactly. They said, they remember Jesus saying, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And when they did, they started... sharing that gospel message, they started making disciples and they baptized them. And so Acts shows us that that was being practiced, not just taught, but practiced. 
And so the New Testament, the early church writings, it was continually taught about baptism. And listen to the language of this baptism that Paul talks about. To all the places he went, Paul was baptized. We hear about that in Acts. That was one of those scriptures that Paul was baptized. And then he taught baptism. And in, 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 in all his letters, he made sure consistently that people heard about baptism and how that was a bearing of our old life and resurrecting to a new way of life. And in Romans 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. For we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. There's that picture of dying and being resurrected. In 1 Corinthians, that's not going to be on the screen, but he, he writes to another group of early Jesus followers. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all has many, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Again, this unity and that symbolism of dying and being resurrected to the Galatian church. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have, this is this picture of clothing yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ. And then over in Colossians, he talks about having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So this is consistent. It's a sign of washing our sins away, of dying to our old self and the old self rising to a new life in Christ. In 2 Corinthians, he wrote a second letter to that group of Jesus followers and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation. A new creation has come in them. The old is gone and the new is here. Now, when I was a youth minister, I had a special needs young man who was in our youth group. And our youth group was great. You know, teenagers can be mean sometimes. What? I know that's a surprise. Um, but they accepted Norman. And Norman was this guy. And he was a handful. He, was, he would cause trouble. He would get, you know, out of control sometime. We'd have to try to set him down. But after a couple of years of being at our church... And being in our youth group, Norman wanted to be baptized. And people were like, oh, what, what's, what are we going to do about this? He's special needs. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> he still deserves to have the gospel of Christ in his life, right? That's why he's been coming and he's heard it. And I don't know how much Norman understood, but I kind of sat down and I talked with him about it. And, and Norman seemed to understand the thing that he needed to understand. And that he had sinned and he wanted to be forgiven and he wanted to live forever with God. And he knew Jesus was the way to do that. And he understood that part. So I remember we baptized him at church. And our youth group was on, you know, in the church. And they all cheered. And it was just a great day. And Norman was so excited when he came out of the water. When he went down and everybody was hugging him and shaking his hand. And it was just a great day for Norman. But then, after we become a Christian, this happens to all of us. I remember a few weeks later and Norman was being his old Norman self in the youth group. And I remember saying to him, Norman, you're acting like the old Norman. Remember, you're a new Norman. And this is how I knew he understood, even with his whatever it was that he had a special need for. He kind of was like, I said, you're acting like the old Norman. Remember, we buried him. And it kind of, he understood. So anytime after that, when Norman was acting a fool, I would say, 
knew Norman, and he would go. Now that did something for Norman, but I can't tell y'all what that did for me because it's the same with us, isn't it? Because there's times last week, there's times every week that I start acting like the old Craig that was dead and buried, that we got rid of. And Jesus is kind of going, what are you doing? Craig, why are you living like the old Craig? I thought we settled this on your 10th birthday, on your 10th, you know, 10 years old. Jim Dyer, remember, you buried the old Craig. Now you're a new Craig. Why are you acting like the old Craig that doesn't exist anymore? You ever been reminded of that? And the beautiful thing about taking communion every Sunday is I am reminded of that. There were times this past week that I lived like the old Craig, and I need to be reminded when I take communion that I'm a new Craig, I'm a new creation. The old is what? Gone. And the new has come, and we need to act like that. So that's, that image is all throughout the New Testament. And the Greek word in the original translation is a word called baptizo, and it is a term that comes from the root bapto, which is a, was a term in the new century that when people heard that in the Greek, they knew it was a term for immersing a garment into bleach and then into dye, both cleansing and changing the color of the cloth. So when people heard this thing of baptism, that new clothing, they understood it, but they go, now you're doing that with a person. You're changing them from one to the other. And people identified with that. They understood what that was. It, re- it literally means to dip or submerge. And people understood that. Underwater and come up out of the water something different than went down in that water. It represents death and burial and resurrection. And it is the only word that is used in the New Testament. And so that's why we practice that that way in this church. Baptism is a clear action. It's an identification of one's personal faith in Christ. It's an action of submission and obedience. You can't baptize yourself. You have a minister or you have someone that led you to Christ baptize you and you have to submit to them. I remember I remember talking to them this week and I was like, it's got to be a little awkward. They don't know me very well. But I had to say, okay, this man that you don't know very well is going to dunk you down underwater and you hope he's going to bring you back up, right? But they were so sweet and they submitted to that. Because I remember the same way. I I knew Jim Dyer and I knew he loved me, but still there's this moment when I'm going, "Uh uh-oh, is he going to bring me back up? But it's a submission thing, but we're submitting to God that he's going to allow us to come up a new person now, an act of obedience, submission. Now, I've given us a lot of biblical reasons why we should get baptized. And again, I say this all the time. Don't take my word for it. You need to read Acts. You need to read that and see what it says and make sure that it's Craig just saying that or is that really in there? You need to read that and know. But it's clear to me in Scripture that it's been practiced throughout the world, throughout history, and since Jesus gave that commission and it's still happening today. And of all the ritual ceremonies that can be done, this one can be done anywhere in the world. Think about it. Everybody has H2O somewhere in the world. I remember a few years ago, y'all might have remembered uh, Jason Walton, who was campus minister at West Georgia, and he talked about one Sunday, uh, he was sharing with us about they had uh, they wanted to baptize some people, and they put a tarp in the back of a pickup truck and filled it up with water, and that's how they were baptizing kids out at West Georgia. And we just all cheer like, isn't that amazing? There's water somewhere. You can do it, and so this is a simple thing. Anyone can be baptized. We can be baptized just like Jesus was in water. We can identify with just like Christ was that day, and we can identify with others who were baptized. Like this week, I identified with that brother and sister. 
I identified with them. They were being baptized. I remember being that age, and it reminded me of, of mine. Now, a lot of y'all have heard of sprinkling or infant baptism, and we don't practice that here um, because we don't see that taught in the New Testament. The word used was immersed, and that best symbolizes death, burial, and resurrection to Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that your great-great-grandmother or your dad or your mom or your sister who was sprinkled is going to hell and they're not really Christian. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying with integrity to Scripture, we are always going to teach and practice the immersion here in this church. And I just want you all to know why we do that and the reason behind why we do that. But baptism is very personal. It's something that each person should carefully consider when deciding to come become a follower of Jesus. You're not doing it because the church is pressuring you, or mom and dad, or your family. You're doing it because you have understood you need a Savior. And we shouldn't do it lightly, or an impulse, or because we feel pressure or guilt. We should do it because we recognize our need for Jesus as our Savior. With full conviction. This is what I need to do. This is what Jesus has asked me to submit to. And this is what I want to do. I read a, an article this week. Uh, about a mission organization called Asian Access. And they are in Asia, in South Asia. And that's a very difficult place to be sharing the gospel. It's a very dangerous place to share the gospel. And uh, the country is predominantly Hindu, but over the past few decades, Christianity has grown in popularity, especially among the poor and tribal peoples. And the people that are going into those areas and sharing the gospel and asking people about being baptized... They share the following seven questions to serve for these new followers of Jesus that if they go public and they are baptized, this is what may happen in their life. Listen to these questions. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go into the village of those who persecute you, forgive them, and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? They ask them this before they get baptized. Now, if I ask a lot of people that before they got baptized, there might be a halt on a lot of people's baptism. Now, we laugh about that, but it's really not funny. This is for real in South Asia in our world right now. Those people recognize that is a reality. I don't worry about that, do you? I don't worry about today that if I leave here, all of a sudden a, a cop car is going to pull up and throw me in the back seat and say, well, you know what you were doing? You were sharing Jesus today in that church, so we're going to put you in jail for that. I don't worry. I know that could be a reality, but it's so far from reality to me that I really don't take that serious. But these people do. But I do think there's some questions that we certainly have to ask ourselves when we're thinking about being baptized. Do I fully trust Jesus Christ and his life and his death, and his burial, and his resurrection that brings me salvation and eternal life? Do I really fully trust that? And am I willing to die to my old life, my old ways of doing life, and bury that old life, put it to death, and resurrect to a new way of doing things? And that's a process, I know. It doesn't happen overnight, but it is a process. But a lot of times what we do is we say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bury these things, but I'm still going to hold on to other things. But Jesus asks us to bury all of it, doesn't he? All of it, our way. And are we willing to resurrect our life to pursuing God's way now and for the rest of our life? Those seem like simple questions, but they have huge implications for our life if we're really going to be a follower of Jesus.
So I, I want to close with this, this last story that I, that I read this week. There's a guy named uh, Philip Griffin who was a pastor in Texas, and they were planning churches. And he says during those church planning days, there's a lot of people who were, were being baptized. And in some of these churches we were starting in different places, we didn't have nice baptismals. And sometimes we had to you know, be creative, like, like I mentioned Jason in the back of the pickup truck. He says we bought this small indoor swimming pool, and there were about 30 people on this particular Sunday who were about to be baptized, but just before the service, we realized nobody brought a hose to hook up where they were to, to filter it into the, into the um, baptism or the swimming pool. And so he's asking all the staff, and none of them say, I don't have a hose. And he thinks, well, I got one at home, but it's really terrible. I'm going to have to go somewhere and get a hose before we start the service. So he decided to go buy one, and as he was leaving, I think this was way before church started, he was leaving, and a guy named John stopped and says, hey, I'm I'm glad I caught you, Pastor. I want to talk to you about something. And he says, I keep moving to my car because I'm going to the hardware store to get a, a, you know, a hose. And he says, no, I, I need to talk to you right now about something very serious. So he knew he was just going to have to go back and, and sit down and talk with him. So he did. And he says, I want to know if you're for real. I want to know if you're for real, Pastor. He says, I know that... You've been talking about how God says to each and every one of us that there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can say to make him not love us. He doesn't always love our behavior, but he will always love us. So I want to know, Pastor, is that really for real? Do you really believe that? Do you really practice that in your life? And he says, of course it's for real. He says, well, I want you to know that I'm struggling with homosexual desires and behavior. I'm in and out of gay relationships, and I understand what the Bible says, and I want to do what God wants me to do, but I'm losing this battle. And several months ago, I, I went to another church. But when I came in and shared this with them, they told me, never come back again. Can you imagine? So I want to know if you're for real. Do you really just say that stuff? Or are you really going to help me as I try to walk through all of this? So we stayed and talked and I connected with him. And then I helped him uh, talked through that whole same-sex attraction, and I, I also connected him with one of our church's small groups, which ended up embracing him. But before he left my office, he said, now I want to tell you one more thing. And at this point, he's thinking, I'm never going to get this hose. <laughs> when I pulled into the parking lot today, I wasn't aiming my car in this direction at all. I was going to kill myself. And he said, I was startled. He said, what do you mean? He said, I had it planned out. What do you mean you had it planned out? He says, it was already in motion. I went to the hardware store and I bought a hose. And I bought some duct tape. And I was going to go down this road I know that's out of the way. And I was going to stick the hose in my exhaust. And I was going to stick the other end in the car, roll up the windows and sit there till I was dead. But I made this stop for some reason. And he said, for real, John, you bought a hose? <laughs> And he says, I got a glimpse of redemption that day. I saw John cross the line of faith and let Christ put his feet on a different path. And I saw God take something that was intended for death, that hose, and use it to fill up something that means life, the baptismal pool. And he says, from then on, every time we had a baptism, we told that story. Isn't that a great story? That God can use that. And baptism is taking a step in truly Truly committing our life to follow Jesus in every aspect of our life. Every aspect. We can't say, you know, in this part you can have. This part of my life you can have, but this part, no, it's going to be me. And I'm not going to die to that old way. No, it's every aspect of our life. 
but we understand that that's a process. That's why when we are baptized, we receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit that helps us in that process. Because the day after I'm baptized, am I going to be all together? No. Ten years after my baptism, am I going to be all together? No. 30, 40, 50, I'm not. That's why I need the church. That's why I need the Holy Spirit. That's why I need Jesus in my life always to help me as I struggle. It's always a struggle in life. But baptism lets us know this is what I've done to identify with what Christ has done for me. So this morning, maybe there's someone who needs to take that step today. And we want to offer that invitation as we always do. To name Jesus as your Lord and your Savior of your life. And not only just stop right there in confession, but the next step, what must I do is be baptized to identify fully with that. So we're going to offer that invitation. Or if you're looking for a church who we teach that early those early things, those early practices at the early church, that that's what we practice, that's what we teach here, that's what we allow people to know about here, that's what we want them to know about. So if you're looking for a church home like that, we offer that invitation as well. Now many of you know the band's going to come up and we, during this time, take communion together. So we're going to let you know that we take that, we're going to have some folks who are going to pass that to you. There's a tray of bread that uh, represents the body of Christ, a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ. If you're visiting for the first time today and a guest with us, we uh, invite you to be a part of that. If you're a believer and you want to, you don't have to do it, but we offer that. You don't have to be a member of our church, but we want you to take this time to identify with Christ and maybe remember your baptism. Maybe remember when that first happened for you and that that cleanses you from your sin. So we're going to ask you to stand at this time. If you have a decision, I'll try to walk you through that. If not, let's just focus on this song and prepare our hearts for, for communion this morning.